Well, it's a great privilege to be here um, this morning. Um, this is part of a kind of two-part series. If you happen to miss uh, last week, it's easy for me to say, but I'd encourage you to uh, listen uh, to that talk. Last week, I was talking about the, the heart and the posture of prayer and how we need to get the right heart and the right posture as we come to prayer, as we seek to grow individually and corporately as a church. Because God wants to meet us. He's here. We need to just be open to him and what he wants to do in our lives. And I don't want to kind of go through that talk, but I want to just again, just to lay that foundation very quickly, because if we lose it here, if we don't get it here, everything else I share, any other tools I might be able to pass on to you and some of the journey that I'm on and continue to be on, won't have something to be kind of as a solid foundation to be upon it. And last week I talked about that, the essence and the heart of prayer is Jesus. You know, I said, we're coming back to the heart of prayer. And it's all about you, Jesus. That prayer is an invitation into his presence. It's an invitation into intimacy with God. Wow. I mean, that's, you know, just saying that, if you're going to reflect on what I'm just saying, that's just like, that. that's amazing. It's an invitation you know, Nigel and I were um, out yesterday, and we were just talking about different people, and we ended up talking about you 2 and um, Bono, <laughs> the band U2. Thank you, Joe. And, um, you know, I'm sure if Nigel, I know some of you also went to his concert, kind of had an invitation from Bono to come and have a meal. You know, I'm sure he would have kind of tweeted it, it would have been on Facebook very quickly. You know, uh, maybe imagine somebody that you really have always wanted to meet. You know, my daughter here, Sophie, loves cooking programs. I can't remember all the different names, but I'm sure if I asked her, she'd say, I'd really love to meet, you know, one of these people that, you know, one, you know, master chef or something. I don't know what it is for you, but if we had that invitation, we'd go, wow, you know, I wouldn't believe it. You know, when you see your work colleagues or your friends, be like, wow, I've got to meet this person. Well, we get to meet God. We get to meet God, the creator of the whole world. I mean, and that's just mind-blowing in itself. Even before I get into the talk, we get to meet God. You know, we look out. It's not the greatest day to look out. But, you know, when you, you know, at night and you see the stars, you see the wonder of creation, you see all the galaxies that they are. You look at our, our, our bodies. You know, I don't really know that much about it. But, you know, when you start hearing some of the facts and information about even your physical body and how many hairs you have and everything, it's just, it's just mind-blowing. We get to meet Him in prayer. Wow. And that's what it's about. It's drawing near. It's positioning our hearts to draw near to God. You know, it's not just in worship. Prayer's about that. We have that opportunity now. I would encourage you again, like I did last week as I speak, just to be saying in your heart, yes, God. God, I want to encounter you today. I want to meet you. Because that's what it's about. Prayer is the the life-changing power of passionately seeking the Father's presence in a particular place. Why not now? Why not anywhere? Passionately seeking him. And so I kind of really expanded upon that last week. And then I kind of said, this idea is kind of outwork that God is inviting us. And I shared that story about uh, Moses and the burning bush. That there was this burning bush and Moses was in the desert and this bush was burning and the Bible says, when he turned aside, God spoke. 
And I was saying that as a church and as individuals, we have that invitation and challenge to draw aside, to turn aside, and for him to speak to us. I'm being very honest there. That turning aside. How did it go? How did it go for you? Even as you didn't, weren't here last week, did you get those burning bush moments? Those kind of silent whispers as you woke up, as you turned the key in your ignition, as you loaded the dishwasher. I don't know what it was like for you, but oh, during the day, there's those whispers, those invitations to draw into intimacy with you. You know, we sang it already today. You know, he's calling our name. He's calling your name now. But during the day, during those moments, like that quote says about prayer, meeting him in a particular place, he's calling our name. Paul, Trophy, Joe, you know, put your name in. He's calling our name to draw aside, to put it aside. And for me, again, it's been a journey since I just heard it. I've been encouraged, and I'd encourage you, wherever you are, for some of you like, yeah, yeah, I did hear his voice. For some of you are like, I don't know. But he's calling, and as a church, individually and corporately, we want to grow into that place that when we hear his whisper, we turn aside. That's what it's about. Just turning aside and hearing his voice. And it might just be for you know, a, a few minutes. It might be just for a few seconds, just that acknowledgement to engage and connect with the living and all-powerful God on a heart level. That's mind-blowing. And however we did, let's be an encouragement to keep pressing into that and growing in it. Because there's going to be those callings. Those burning bush moments happen all the time. And we're going to do it. And the more we do it, the more natural it becomes. And I was thinking about this this week and thinking, I wanted to convey this again before I moved on because that is the crux of what it's about. The heartbeat of us individually, the heartbeat of us as a church. And I felt like God say that we need to be like sunflowers. I didn't just put that picture up there just because it's nice. And I was reminded something about as a, as a child, and I just had to Google it, so I'm not an expert on this. You know, sunflowers are amazing. Sunflowers follow the sun. It's natural. You know, I didn't have time. If not, I would have kind of just done it because I wanted to save a bit of time. You can get these little clips. You know, when you can do everything really slow motion, then you speed it up. Yeah, you know what I'm on about. And so you can see a sunflower follows the, the sun. The sunflower becomes aware of the presence of the sun and responds to it. That's what we're meant to be. We're meant to be sunflowers. My challenge to myself, my challenge to us as a church is that we'll be a sunflower church. That we will follow it. And then I just remember saying, sunflowers f- follow the sun even when it's cloudy. Wow. That, that should be that we got, you know, that in some ways summarized the talk last week, that we would have that posture in our heart, individually and corporately, that we would follow the sun no matter what the weather says. Whether it's sunshine shining or the clouds are dark. You know, my prayers are like, God, make me like that sunflower. That I would earnestly seek you and I would follow you. That I would be sensitive to you. Whatever is happening around me. 
It's mind-blowing, isn't it? Let this be our postures. The other thing about sunflowers, it gets better. It's great what you can do when you research. They do not wilt at night or close as sunflowers do because of a lack of light. I'm like, yes, God, let us always be open to you. Let us not wilt. You know what they do? Instead, they turn towards the east to await the sunrise. Wow, you know, I was like, you know, if one of a kind of prophetic word, meaning a kind of word from God, it's like, God, let that be the posture of my heart, that whatever's happening, I am seeking you out. I'm earnestly trying to reach you. And that the posture of my heart is that I'll wait for you when it becomes more evident. That is my prayer for me. That's my prayer. I could stop, but I've got a little bit more I want to say. But let that be for us as a church that we would be like some flowers waiting. Funny enough, he's waiting for us to say yes and to step into that. So this is the heart and the posture of prayer. This is what it's like. And it can be hard. But like a sunflower, we were built this way. We've just got to return to the natural way that we were built to be. To follow and pursue after God. Before kind of focusing in on uh, the fuel of prayer, how to kind of just help this kind of intimacy and the pressing in after God, I just wanted to remind us very quickly why prayer is important. Apart from just kind of being like the oxygen of the Christian faith of following Jesus. I mean, in some ways, that's good enough reason as it is. No oxygen, no life. <laughs> it's going to be doing a lot of biology lessons today. But, uh, but there's another important reason. Because we, individually and corporately, are invited to change the world. If you say that you want to follow Jesus, you automatically, as part of your kind of job description, are invited to change the world. But you see, we can't change the world without God. And we can't change the, the world without prayer. Because that's where we find our life, our source, our inspiration, and our energy to change the world. Maybe to give you another illustration, a lovely illustration so you figure it out. Uh, I think I shared this before, but I'll share it again in, in this church. If um, we had a kind of job description, let's say, um, you know, at the end of today, it's like, right, we want to do sync. We don't want to just hear stuff. We want to go out and do sync. And so the, the outworking of today's talk is go and find a, a cemetery and I want you to raise the dead. Okay? It's actually in a job description in the Bible. Pray for the sick. We do that. Um, we're kind of trying to grow as a church individually and corporately and hopefully we'll get to raise the dead. And, um, and just, just raise one. Okay? You know, I just want to set the bar low. Let's just raise one. I don't know what would enter your, your head. I mean, I'd be like, uh, who would you invite along? You know, you can take somebody with you, bring a friend, bring somebody along with you to this cemetery. And I, I'd, I'd be crying out to God. It's like, God, I can't raise the dead without you. You know, I just know that's beyond my ability. Or maybe to use another kind of similar illustration, we kind of, the somebody's here is completely and utterly blind, never seen. Uh, and I don't know about you, I'll be going... I'll be praying for them and I'll be going, God, help me, God, help me, God, help me. Is it just me? Uh, i got the light on my face. I can't really see your faces too well. But I'll just be like, God, we need you. We do that on the physical level. But when it comes to thinking about changing the world, we've got to grasp 
it's also there on the spiritual level. See, the Bible says that people without Jesus are blinded. The Bible says that we are dead in our sins. So just like on the physical level, we would not, we would just be totally and utterly dependent on God. It's the same on the spiritual. And we're called to raise the dead. We're called to let blind eyes see. And therefore, if you want to see that, prayer's got to be at the heartbeat of who we are. You know, we talk a lot in, in this church, and you hear me say it a lot, that we're trying to seek to bring our community into life. And what we mean that is every aspect of our community, whatever role we have in society, we want to see the living reality of God's transforming power and grace to change lives, to restore lives, be it physically, emotionally, or spiritually. But that's not going to happen unless at the same time our heartbeat or prayer also grows. And that's just so crucial. It's kind of like it's there. Often I get asked in my role, I, I do a lot of work with Muslims, generally overseas, but sometimes recently I've been asked just to help some churches. So a few churches in Birmingham asked me recently, they said, can you come and help me, can you help us and just do some training on how we can connect with Muslims and share Jesus with Muslims in such a way that we can see the Muslim community come to Jesus. And I said, yeah, that's fine, that's, that's not too hard. But I said, I will only do that on one condition. And they said, you know, so that's what, what's that? I said, at the same time as I do this training, we've got to raise up the heart of prayer for Muslims, you know, in your church. Because I said, if not, I'm just wasting my time. Because I know I can give you the best training on how to share Muslims, and Muslims are not that hard to share Jesus with. But if you haven't got prayer, it's not going to happen. Because prayer is what's going to open their eyes. Prayer is going to what's open their hearts so that they will respond to God. And so as a church, you earnestly don't just want to just talk the talk, but we want to see our communities encounter Jesus. You know, I'm going to, you know, I challenge you, I challenge myself, that we need to grow in this area in relation to prayer. Because then things begin to change. So what are some of the aspects of fuels of prayer? And like I said last week, uh, I mean, I could, I could go on and on. You know, just sharing stories and sharing principles when it comes to prayer. And I just kind of like honed down on four key things I wanted to share very quickly uh, today. Firstly, in relation to having an impact in prayer, the call to be earnest, to be zealous. I don't know how many of you were brought up in church as children. Anybody? I was. <laughs> I know some of you and some of you weren't. I don't know. What was, what's some of your favorite stories from the Bible? <laughs> Daniel and the lion. I can hardly open a room. I murmuring. <laughs> David, did I hear? Well, let me tell you something. You know, if, you've, if you've been around, it doesn't matter what church you go to, certain stories always seem to come up with kids' work. And they're great, you know, David and Goliath. I mean, kids love it because, you know, generally at that age, they're quite small. I just stayed small. I never grew up. And uh, so things like Goliath, you know, overcoming these great, you know, fiends overcoming you. Um, Noah and, and the ark. Uh, it was mentioned, you know, I, mean, no, I just said, if I heard correctly, you know, 
Daniel and the lion. There's all these, all these great stories. You know, and as children, we're so impressed by them. Man, he can do anything, can't he, God? As we get older, I think we get sometimes a little bit more cynical. Sometimes I think we're more impressed by the, the Hebrew or the Greek or the, the illustrations. You know, I was challenging myself. Maybe I need to preach, share some of those Old Testament stories with myself again. And capture that sense of awe and wonder about the power of God. Maybe as I'm sharing some of these stories with my, my children, I need to just slow down and think, I'm not just giving them a bedtime story. I am speaking to my own individual soul about the life and purpose of who I am. And so there's some great stories, but I want to think about one called um, Elijah, because often this story gets shared. It's always quite a gruesome story, but it's there in the, in the, in the Bible. And, um, you know, if I said Elijah, you know, if we had had an advert and somehow we managed to get Elijah, the prophet Elijah, to come and speak here, man, this place would have been crammed with people. It's like, wow, we're going to, you know, Winchester Vineyard, they got Elijah, dirt Elijah coming to speak. You'd be like, wow, get your front row seat, man, this season would be packed. And uh, no need Elijah to tell people to come forward. I'd be like, wow. But when you read about him, and we talked a little bit about the New Testament in James chapter 5, verse 17, it says, Elijah was a man just like us. Just like you. Just like me. He was just an ordinary person. We get all this excitement, but he was just like us. And then it says, he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And did not rain for three and a half years. He was an ordinary person like you and me. But he prayed earnestly. And I've been camping in that, thinking, you know, what does that mean for me? What does that mean for us as a church? We are just a group, in some ways, of ordinary people. Men and women. But somehow, he prayed earnestly. He grasped something. And so my first challenge myself is that we would grow in that earnestness and zeal. He prayed earnestly and things changed. There's an interesting, there's many interesting passages in the Bible. I keep coming across more and more. It's the older I get. One of them is Isaiah 42, verse 15. And this is God talking about himself. And it says, The Lord will march out like a champion, like a warrior. He will stir up his zeal. With a shout, he will raise a battle cry and will triumph over his enemies. It's an interesting thing there. God stirs up his own zeal. God, who's full of zeal, has to stir up his own zeal. I don't fully understand the theological um, implications of all of that. But the thing that hits me is if God has to stir up his own zeal, how much more do we do? In Romans 12, verse 11, it says, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. And so again, my challenge to myself and to each one of us is that we would stir up our zeal. Stir up our zeal when it comes to prayer. Maybe some of the things I share on a little bit later on, can, uh, they do feed into each other. Some of the things that maybe have robbed our zeal for prayer. And one of the things I believe that God wants to do today is he wants to create an opportunity. Even as we're speaking, when you hear that phrase about stirring up zeal, that could be a burning bush moment for you. Even as I'm speaking right now, I can multitask occasionally. And I'm saying, yes, God. 
God, stir up. Help me stir up that zeal, Lord. Put a fresh zeal. You know, as that song says, sing, you know, set a heart, a fire down in my heart that cannot be contained, that cannot be controlled. Do that again. Do that again in us as a church. I'm not saying that we're cold, but I don't know about you. We, we can have different degrees of zeal. And whatever it is for you, I'm saying, I want more, God. I want more. Do we want more? I don't exactly know what that looks like, but do we want more? And it's like, yes, God. Because if we want to see prayer is so crucial, we need to learn how to stir up zeal. And so again, even as I'm speaking, just be responding to that. And again, you might, you, some of you might find it hard and we'll have an opportunity at the end. You might like, I just don't, I just need somebody to just kind of stand alongside me and just say, fire God, just come and set that fire and zeal deeper down in my heart. And that's part of what a community of faith is like, is standing with each other and helping each other grow in these areas. So part of the fuel of prayer is zeal. Secondly, we need to learn from a, to pray from a place of expectation and faith. I remember many years ago, I was just thinking about prayer, and I came across a phrase by somebody who said, kind of all prayer is powerful, but some prayer is more powerful. And I was thinking, do I, do I agree with that? I was thinking, mm, I don't know what you're thinking about. I've had more time to think about it. And I kind of came to the conclusion that, yes, all prayer is powerful, but some prayer is more powerful because the Bible talks about praying with faith and expectation. And I kind of, it took me on a journey because uh, a lot of my work involves working with people that are working overseas, uh, with Muslims. I work for an organization called Frontiers. And, uh, and there's often a lot of talk about the importance of getting more people praying and praying for longer. And I remember, and I, and I do teach that and encourage that. But there's also an aspect of quality, not just quantity. And that idea of praying with faith and expectation, because often it seems to be lacking there. You know, in a few weeks' time, I, I'm doing um, some prayer gatherings. I've got six hours of prayer gatherings to do overseas. And it doesn't really matter what I'm praying for, whatever nation or issue. One of the first things I encourage myself and encourage the group I'm with is that we need to get a fresh glimpse of God. Get a fresh glimpse of his heart and pray from his perspective on the situation, on the issue. Because when you do that, faith and hope is naturally released. Because you can be praying about the same issue but have different eyes when it comes to it. And this is why I love this, um, uh, this story this is a story about Elisha, not Elijah, so we're going from Elijah to Elisha. And they're, and they're surrounded. It says there, when the servant to the man of God, a guy called Gehazi, got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots has surrounded the city. Oh, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elijah, I mean Elisha and the city. Wow. They were both looking at the same, the same situation in the natural, but they were also both looking with different eyes. And so as we want to grow as a church, we need to begin to see things as God sees them. And praying with his perspective. 
You see Gehazi had kind of this kind of fear and negativity, like, oh my goodness, look at this situation. We are going to be overwhelmed. Elisha's like, whoa, this is going to be a good day. It's going to be a glorious day. Same situation, but two different eyes. We need to begin to see things with God's perspective. See, Satan's always trying to come along and steal a whole load of different things from us. But I think two of the key things he tries to steal from us is our identity, who we are in God. And another thing he often tries to steal is our expectation. That's why one of the reasons why as a, as a, as a, a denomination, as a movement, a few years ago, we, we kind of changed some of our, our values, particularly when it came to worship. And one of them was we want to be a church where there's kind of, I can't remember the exact word in Nigel, you know, a kingdom expectation. And that can apply to worship, but it applies to every aspect that we want to see in us as a church, that we have that kingdom expectation. Whatever situation you're in, there's a whole load of angels there as well. And we need to begin to see things as he sees them. And that's the true reality. He's not denying. Yes, the army was around. This is not kind of like head in in the ground, denying reality. No, no, no. Elisha saw... The armies, the um, kind of Syrian army around them, the Armenians, not Armenians, it's called the Syrian army. He kind of knew their history, he knew their background, he knew their potential, he'd seen what they'd done before. So he wasn't living in denial, but he was living in a greater reality. And that's what we need to do. I've never seen them, I quite fancy the idea of them. Um, in the army, or you can not just the army, you can buy these goggles that help you see in the dark. Yeah? And, uh, you know, so you can see, you know, kind of, I think they're heat sensing or something. Uh, and so you can just see things. Uh, and in some ways, that's what we need spiritually. To be able to see, because sometimes we feel like we're in the dark, in a situation. It's like, I don't know what to pray. I don't know how to pray. And that's when we press into God's presence. He gives us his goggles. And then we begin to see things that we don't see. Because what you see affects how you pray. That's why it's so crucial. What, what you see affects how you pray and what you pray. And so as we want to grow individually and corporately as a church, we need to begin to see the true reality. We need to begin to see with God's perspective. And again, fill in the gap for what it is for you. Like I often say, I think about nations Muslim nations, for some of you just thinking about a home situation, maybe a difficult home situation, maybe you're thinking about a work situation, you know, just fill in the gap for whatever you are looking at, whatever you're praying at. What's he saying about it? Ask God to show his perspective. Start with him. Look up before you look out. What's he saying? And I shared a, 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 um, a lot of people ask for this, uh, what do you call it, a quote for a guy called Roy Goodwin. And I, I just share it again because it kind of links in. And I, oh, I go, oh, I forgot these. I forgot these illustrations. What you see affects what you see. Oh, I missed this bit. I can see all going there. Go, oh, look at one way, like the way. And this is what's called perspective um, photography. There's a whole load out there. And then lastly, just going to scramble your brain. And, um, but just going to build, I forgot what this list is. Going to feed into that idea of kind of like, what, what do you actually see? What's the actual reality? 
if you position like that one with a bottle and some of you, there's more famous ones where you've kind of got your finger on the Sphinx nose or uh, you know, you've got your finger on top of Eiffel Tower. But what's the real reality? See, your eyes can play tricks on you. I can see some of you still trying to figure out this one. I'll move on in a minute. You can watch it afterwards. But, um, but we need to see things as they truly are. So I'm going to show you perspective. Here we go. And here's a quote. Ask God to give you a redemptive revelation to show his dreams. That revelation will inform how you pray and increase your faith for what God would do. He wants you to see how things could be in the life of people, places, and regions. He wants you to imagine their redeemed future and then pray blessing for them in the light of that. And that's probably what it means. How does he see things? How does he see those kind of people, places, regions? What's he saying about them? And then pray in line with that truth, that greater truth. Secondly, to grow in praying with faith and expectation. Oh, I'm going back. You need to become increasingly aware of who you are in Christ, that you are a child of God. What authority that you cover. You see, we, we pray from our understanding of God. You know, if we wrote down our prayers that we said during a week, and we analyze them, what would they kind of reflect about our belief about God? Do we pray prayers which are large enough for God? Do we really believe that God is all-powerful, that God is all-loving? I don't know. If I looked at some of my prayers, I pray quite small prayers. I pray sometimes quite defeatist prayers, maybe, because I haven't fully grasped who God is and who I am. I haven't got time to unpack this. I said, you know, I'm on a journey. And some of these things I'm sharing, I just literally got in the last few days. I'm still mulling over them. But I was reading um, Luke chapter 18. And it says, you know, Jesus, I'm going to tell you a prayer parable. And I'm going to tell you a parable about how to pray and not give up. And that just hit me. Wow. How many of you have been praying about something and giving up? And I thought, they think here. And if you know that parable, it's a, the parable of just a um, persistent widow. It's a parable that talks, that helps us talk and focus in on the nature and the character of God. And as we truly understand, it's like the God is saying, when we truly understand his nature and his heart, then we start to learn to pray without giving up. And I just blew my mind. It's like, God, I need to come to that place because I don't know about you. I often give up. I often pray and I give up. Whatever that giving up might be. Maybe sometimes it's, you know, a couple of days. Maybe sometimes it's a few years. But it's like, as we begin to fully understand individually and corporately how amazing, how loving, how powerful God is, then we'll begin to pray without giving up. I mean, for me, that was just, I, I, I need to take at least a week or two just to dig into that again because I just got this a couple of days ago. But that, that's the truth. I thought, yeah, that's truth. It's like Jesus has given us the key how to pray and not give up. And, I, and I've missed it. I mean, it's just me. As I understand his nature, 
And that's probably what we're going to be doing later on by having communion. So I was asked earlier, you know, would we have a communion before or not? And I said, this is a great response. You see, so often we give up because we don't really understand God's goodness, his power, his might. And communion just sums it up. This is the real reality. This is the reality of his extraordinarily outrageous love for us. This is also a declaration of his power. He's risen, he's resurrected. Whatever we're praying into, however bad it is, the answer is when we glimpse the reality of who he is. And so this uh, part of our response this morning will be to take communion because in there, I believe that God will give us a fresh revelation that will help give us fuel. You know, I said this is fuel for prayer. When we see his heart, when we capture his heart as it's conveyed in communion, when we celebrate Jesus' life and death and resurrection, it gives us something that will keep us going when we're praying. It will give us persistence. It will give us zeal. I also believe it will be a, a, a healing time. Because I think some of us have stopped praying or we, we're praying with a, a limited, kind of small mentality because we've been disappointed. You don't, you, know, you don't have to scratch very deep in talking about prayer and you'll find disappointment and hurt. And I believe this is a time for us individually and corporately to get some healing so that we can move forward in this area. We were singing that song earlier, uh, it is well with my soul, that old hymn. And um, as we were singing, I, I started crying. And I was thinking, I've not particularly got anything that's big or heavy in my life, whatever. And I felt it was like one of those moments, like the burning bush, kind of turn aside and say, what do you want to say, God? And I felt like God saying, that's my heart, I'm crying. Because he says, I know in this room there are many people whose hearts, when they think about prayer, their hearts are broken because they've prayed for people and they died. They've prayed for issues, jobs, and there's been disappointment. It's like this. It's like this. I feel like God was saying, this is, this is my heart. My heart is, is, is just, it's just broken and I want to bring healing. And this is a great opportunity to respond to that. And so, my prayers, yes, God, come and change our hearts. Give us a fresh perspective and a viewpoint of who you are. So that prayer will flow. Quickly, just to move on from expectation. Uh, become aware when you're praying from a place of fear and hopelessness. Uh, I remember somebody once, uh, you know, said, you know, that pretty much every time there's an area of hopelessness in our lives, at some point we're, we're believing a lie about God, the situation, or the issue we're praying in. Uh, and so, in terms of growing in prayer, we need to become quicker at just taking a hold of that and bringing it in reality to the truth. Finally, on this point, remember the final score we've won. It kind of gives you great confidence to pray with faith and expectation when you realize, realize the final score. Um, I'm a, I follow Jesus. It's a bit like alcoholics. I follow Jesus. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Liverpool supporter. And uh, so one of my aims is for my children to love Jesus and to follow Liverpool. <laughs> and uh, that's, not, that's not a joke. And, 
And um, if you're a Liverpool supporter, you know this thing, it's called the, um, it's called the Miracle Istanbul. Uh, happened in 2005, the European Cup final. And um, we won it. And, uh, but we were 3-0 down at half time. It was going to like, this is never going to happen before. And the reason I share that story in relation to knowing the final score is I can watch that. And as my kids kind of get to their age where I feel like they can take this heavy weight and responsibility upon them, I will watch this with them. And, um, but I can watch that and I can see the first goal in, goal in I go, ah. second goal goes in, it's like, so what? Third goal goes in, ah, three nil go down. Because you know why? I know the final score. I know who won. And it's the same when it comes to God. If you read Revelation, the last book in the Bible, you, you, you kind of get an idea of, you get the idea of the final score. It's easy when we're praying, we see the death, we see things that seem to be overwhelming. Sometimes it does seem dark and gloomy. Particularly, it depends who you speak to. Some people see it more dark and gloomy than other people. But, um, but we know the final score. He's won. And when we get that glimpse, it gives fuel and expectation as we pray now. So we need to grow in praying with zeal. We need to pray with expectation. Quickly, the last two points. We're called to bless. And this again is something I'm, I'm just... Maybe, and if I get the opportunity, at some point I'll, I'll do a talk just on this separately. But this is something I'm just investigating and just growing in. You know, we, we're called, in Scripture, we're called a priest. In Peter and Revelation, we're called a kingdom of priests. As a church, we're called a kingdom of priests. And therefore, part of our role is to bless. I came across this a, a few months ago, and again, I've been digging and welling into this. It links into very much about what this kind of two-part series is about. Deuteronomy 10, 8 says, At that time, the Lord separated the tribe of Levi. So maybe let's just translate it into the Philip's translation. At that time, the Lord separated Winchester Vineyard to bear the Ark of the Covenant, which means to carry his presence, to stand before the Lord to minister to him, and to bless in his name to this day, to today, to tomorrow. We are called to bless. It's like, for me, that just summarized part of what I want for us, for me and for us as a church. That we'll be carriers of his presence to minister to God. That's pretty much what the whole last week's talk was about. To minister to God and to bless in his name. And I don't fully understand. I don't have enough time to unpack. But there is power in blessing. Blessing brings transformation. In the world around us, there is so much negativity, so much criticism. And when you look at the life of Jesus and you look at the life of the Old Testament, you see so much blessing. But life should be like Jesus, just blessing the children. Bless you. Bless you to find Joseph, find Jesus, and to pursue him. There's power. You know, in some churches they do blessings and it's kind of like, oh, it's just something you do. There's power in blessing. There's power in the word of God. And the world around us is looking to get blessed. The world around us is broken. It's fine. We need to grow in the blessing of God. Lastly, and I share this because this part of my, my journey, we're called not to hide behind prayer. I've seen this so often. It's one of the things in my journey in prayer. I used to do a lot of prayer. Then I realized that a lot of people that prayed in the, in the circles I was in didn't do a lot. I mean, they were praying, and I, believe me, I really believe in the power of prayer. Hopefully you would pick that up. But part of the aspect of being a follower of Jesus 
is to cry out with faith and expectation, but also be willing to be the person that God uses. And, um, and like I also said last week, um, if you want to grow in prayer, find somebody else to prayer sometimes and just use it until it becomes your prayer. And I came across this prayer, and for me it's summarized quite quickly and easily for some man who's not got much time to speak. God, I know that you are going to do some good things here today. Can I have the privilege of being part of that? Can I do something today, God, that will reveal your nature, your character, that will release your story? Can I do one thing? There's a guy called Alan Scott who led a a vineyard in Causeway. And for me, that kind of summarized that. The aspect kind of like expectation. God, I know you're going to do something today. There's somebody who has a confidence in himself. Can I have that privilege of being part of that? And that desire to be part of the solution to that prayer. I want to get involved in that. I want to be part of that story. I don't want to be just somebody that prays, but somebody who's actually engaged and living in life in such a way that that prayer can be outworked in my life. I'm going to start there because time is just rushed, rushed by. But just to kind of conclude, I believe this is it's an important message for myself. I know as, as I've been writing it, I've just been, I just learned so much, seen so much new insight. But I also feel as a, a call to as a church that we would be a, a people of prayer, individually and corporately. That all we do, that our dream, our vision would be anchored in prayer. And as we outwork that vision and calling, it would be anchored in prayer. In that place of intimacy or, passion, or passionately pursuing God, pressing into his presence, hearing his whispers. And then from that, praying with, that would be people that pray with zeal. Pray with um, expectation. And then are willing to be the people that God uses to answer that. And so the way we're going to uh, respond, there's a number of ways that we could respond, but we're going to have communion. So if you've been asked to um, be part of helping to lead communion, could you uh, please come to the front? And um, also if you could have the worship band and come up. And I, I believe that God wants to do many things here today. God's here. I mean, when God turns up, what, who knows what's going to happen but I felt in particular a few things that he wanted to do, and I touched on them, but I want to touch them very quickly again. Firstly, I really believe that he, um, he wants to reveal his power and his love again. When we were praying at the front, somebody shared a verse from Psalm 62. And for me, it's like, oh yeah, I love that verse. That fits well in my talk. It says, one thing God has spoken, two things I've heard. Power belongs to God, and with you, God, is unfailing love. This is what communion sums up. Communion saying there's power. And some of you, you kind of, as you're in your situations and you think about prayer life, you kind of maybe began to lose some hope and expectation. And this is a time to kind of get healing and restoration. To kind of come forward. And as you come forward and you take the bread, you're taking hold of something. But I'd encourage you as you're queuing, that might be a good time just to let go of some stuff. It's like, Lord, and letting go of disappointments and letting go of hurts and letting go of this, you know, 
I know I can say with my mouth, you're, you're all powerful and you're all loving, but I want to encounter that reality. And as you take it, eat it, just think about it. You might find it, you want to just, you know, hold on, you know, just to kind of kneel at the front afterwards. Or just go and sit where you are and just encounter God. And let him, he's, he's here, he's, he's just releasing faith, he's releasing hope, he's releasing revelation. Again, for some of you, ah, it's on the rain. Yeah, God, more. And, um, uh, yeah, let's have a downpour. So actually means I've got a hole in my roof at the moment. Do I want that? Yeah. <laughs> I'm afraid. And um, a time of healing. I always believe that some of you are just, gonna, just weary. When you think about prayer, there's just a weariness and a heaviness about it. And I believe that God also wants to bring a, a fresh zeal, fresh breath of life upon that. And so as you come and do communion, this is where life is released. And again, you might want to come and respond and sit, you know, sit here as another display of that. So I'm just going to bless what this bread and this wine symbolize. It represents the body of Christ, the blood of Jesus, broken, poured out for us. This is part of what we said, you know, the, the final story. Revelation, it talks about the Lamb, Jesus, who was slain, risen, exalted. He's won. He's won. Oh, yeah, in Anglican, if I was an Anglican church, I said that, you'd go, wouldn't you? He's won! <laughs> He's risen. <laughs> they laughed and speak. But this is what we are. And so it's just the band plays uh, initially quietly. If you look around, just start going to different ones of these um, people who are just serving communion. I think gluten-free is normally over where Joe is. Uh, and just begin this. This is, a, this is a turning aside. This is a holy moment. So I bless you. I'm talking about blessings. I bless you to encounter God as you take communion. I bless you to get a deeper revelation and insight of the Father's love and His power as you take communion. I bless you to walk away and increase freedom and breakthrough as you take communion. In the name of the risen, all-conquering Son.